0: We come to Christianity and somehow we have swallowed this expectation that God is going to get on our team to give us the life we want, that we have our dreams and our perspective of what makes the good life. God's job is to get on board with that. And if he does anything less than that, then he is somehow unkind, unloving, and that we are completely justified in being angry with him staying angry with him and even walking away from him because christianity didn't work for us in that sense of it didn't supply that life here and so it's really important for us to uh saturate ourselves in the scriptures so that we really understand who god is and what he's doing in the world and what it really means to be in Christ.
1: You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindall thompson
2: And my joy to introduce to you someone that you are going to love. Her name is Nancy Guthrie. Nancy, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Hey, Colleen. I'm so glad to talk with you and those who watch this today.
2: Well, it's really interesting because yesterday when we talked, I think it had been about 10 years or 11 since we had last talked. So, Oh, I
0: think probably
2: more than that. Well, I think we have a little bit to <laughs> catch up on, so we'll let yes, people listen definitely. in. Let's do Um, Nancy is married to David, and they have a 20-something-year-old son who is single. I had to throw that in there. Uh Um, David and Nancy face some very challenging circumstances that I think many of you will relate with because it deals with loss. She says in the intro of one of her books, we find ourselves living with a nagging hope for something better. We want something better than the Christianity of our parents and our grandparents. Something better than the vague and uncertain spirituality of our neighbors. And something better than the guilt-induced, holier-than-thou morality. Something better than here and now. Something worth opening our hearts and filling our minds and giving our lives for. Nancy, when you wrote that, tell me what was going on in your life.
0: Yeah, I wrote that in my book, Hoping for Something Better, which is um, a study of the book of Hebrews, which is over, and that book is over and over again, telling us how much better Jesus is than all of the things we grab hold of in this life. And I think all of us go through life expecting to to get all the happiness and fulfillment and I think as women, oftentimes, we set it out as our goal to create the perfect family. Uh, We want to have, you know, the marriage that works and children who are happy and healthy and successful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think somehow in, especially in our modern American culture, we actually have been fooled into thinking that's possible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, as, as I'm getting older I'm realizing how few people ever really do get that. And oftentimes, especially these days, as we look at Facebook, I mean, I can get so sucked into thinking everybody else's life is so much better than mine. I mean, they take better vacations than I do, and their kids are doing better than mine, and their meals look better,
2: and... <laughs> their Pinterest you know, pictures look better, they have better social groups on Google One. Everything is better,
0: right? Right. And and yet we know that's a mirage, because we ourselves, we know we put the best things about our lives on uh, on on Facebook and all of those things, and so but we all are always kind of reaching out for that thing out there that's going to better when, so I guess in terms of what the reality of was going on in my life with that book was to come to the realization that Jesus Christ is the very best thing that I can take hold of this in this world and that everything else in this life is ultimately going to disappoint me.
3: Mm.
0: It might not today, but it will tomorrow. And you know, even if my marriage is perfect We're going to die. That's all going to come to an end, right? And so everything else ultimately lets us down except for Christ alone. So when we really grasp that, we begin to recognize, we begin to expect less of this life Hmm. and anticipate uh, all that awaits us in the life to come and enjoy all that we have in Christ
2: right now. Well, many listening can hear that and say, but I've worked in the church or I've served Christ. I've known him my whole life and I'm so let down by him. And let me start, let me back up and say Nancy and her husband have one son, like I just mentioned, but they lost two children. Two children are in heaven, Hope and Gabriel, to a rare genetic disorder called Zellweger syndrome. So, Nancy took a nosedive into this something better place early on. Well, Where, that, at that point, you probably were thinking, there's got to be something better than losing a child.
0: Well, I tell you what it did force me to do and continues to force me to do. And, um, and so many people I interact with are forced to do is to reckon with what we have assumed the Christian life was all about. Yes, and maybe nobody ever said it to us directly, but we did
2: somehow think
0: that um, when we came to Christ and we got Him on our team, ha, huh. uh, and He did His job.
2: Yeah, He joined us.
0: Right, you know, and and when he, if He was doing His job, then you know we would we would pray often and. Uh, we'd lay our thing, we, we would kind of tell, put on order with our prayers, everything we think that we need for a life <laughs> that's going to be good. And it would be his job to then respond, um, to supply those things to us.
2: Especially you know, if we're behaving well, we go to church, we are, we're faithful.
0: Ultimately, th- we think we are earning His his favor. Hmm. rather than his favor being a gift i mean grace means the favor of god given to us as a gift not because we've earned it but you know you're getting at something colleen earlier in your question you talked about that sense of a feeling kind of let down by god and so there's a presupposition there isn't there absolutely going to feel let down or disappointed there was something there to begin with we had an expectation and so it's always wise for us. I mean, this is the same way with in our personal relationships. I mean, when we're angry or disappointed with someone, we have to look at that and say, well, on what basis did I make that assumption? On what basis did I expect that? And was that correct? Right. And so we come to Christianity and somehow we have swallowed this expectation that God is going to get on our team to give us the life we want, that we have our dreams and our perspective of what makes the good life. God's job is to get on board with that. And if he does anything less than that, then he is somehow unkind, unloving, and that we are completely justified in being angry with him, staying angry with him, and even walking away with from him, Because Christianity didn't work for us in that sense of it didn't supply that life here. And so right. it's really important for us to uh, saturate ourselves in the scriptures so that we really understand who God is and what he's doing in the world and yes. what it really means to be in Christ,
3: mm-hmm.
0: to be joined to Christ. And of course, Paul understood that because... His call to Christianity was not come and have a great life, your best life now. His call, <laughs> yeah. his call was um, to come and that Christ would be your life. Mm-hmm. And that you would have the opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ. Mm-hmm. and But that you'd also experience that power of resurrection. And, you know, that, that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that Paul talked about. You and I experience that in part now. You know, Paul wrote about uh with anyone is in Christ, the new creation. Yes. And so when we are joined to Christ by faith, innocent the new creation. The the new creation that awaits us in the future breaks into the present. And we get to experience this power, this newness in our lives. But it, not completely yet, because we're still in this broken world. It it's not till later that we experience the complete fullness of new creation that's beginning to break into our lives now?
2: I think we're so connected or caught up in trying to achieve that whatever it is, like you said, our bar has been pretty high. If we're disappointed in any way, in any relationship or with any circumstance, the first question is, what was I expecting? Mm -hmm. Then let's go from there because most likely it was about something I wanted rather than I'm expecting Christ because of his love for me to fill me with who he is and a satisfaction that this world cannot offer.
0: I I remember you you, you talked about uh, the two children we had. We had a daughter named Hope and a son named Gabe who each lived a short time. And I remember even while hope was really with me, having to kind of go back to the drawing board to figure out what does it mean to be blessed by God? Yeah. And what does it mean to experience the good life? You know, right before hope was born, I had read the book of Job and Hmm. I was struck in the translation I was reading it in, and, and you know that story, Job, is sitting at home one day, you know, these series of messengers come, and first, you know, everything he owns is destroyed. Um, all of his children are, are killed when a windstorm whips up, and the, they're crushed in the building, and then he loses his health. And in this story, you see Job, you see his initial response. He responds in worship, which is, was amazing to me. Yes. That, his initial response. Um, But then he enters into this time of real struggle in question. His friends are coming around, and they're all trying to explain God.
3: Hmm.
0: And they have an equation for the way they think life works. And they think the way life works is that basically you get what you deserve. Uh, And so if so much suffering had come into Job's life, he was getting what he deserved from God. There was some kind of secret sin. They were convinced of it. Of course, Job knew. He knew he was a sinner, but he knew that he was a man who regularly came clean with God and that there wasn't yeah. anything.
2: He in was outrageous. Him and God. Yes.
0: Yes. And, but then at the end of his story, he's restored. And in the translation I read this in, shortly before Hope was born, the last verse of the book of Job said, and Job died, having lived a long, good life. Mm. And I just remember reading this. This was before Hope was born and when I was expecting a healthy baby. And I just remember thinking, I wouldn't describe his life as good. That, that's not what I'm interested in. <laughs> <I think laughs> you don't want
2: to have boils and be on the trash heap at no. the city dump scraping with glass?
0: And honestly, after Hope was born and we were told that she would live just a short time and she was going to have this really short, difficult life, I thought, Colleen, that my life would never be good again. So I went back to the book of Job to try to figure out how is it that his life could be described as good at the end of his life when it was so marked by suffering and difficulty. And, you know, one of the conclusions I came to among many was that the good life isn't a life of comfort. The good life Mm. is when the difficulties of this life Mm. press us into discovering who God really is and coming to the place that we are so desperate to hear from Him and desperate to see Him work and desperate to know an intimacy with Him, which Job really came to. You know, at the end of his story, he says, you know, before you, my eyes had my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. It was that sense in which, you know, uh, I've, I've gone through life going to church and Sunday school. And I, I knew every, I I had all of the answers, Mm. but this suffering uniquely has pushed me into this place of knowing you Mm. in a way I never had before. And I think, You know, this has probably been your experience, Colleen, and it's certainly been mine. And it's been that the hardest, darkest places of my life have made me desperate to know God. And that's where true blessing is. It's not in having everything uh, the way we want it, but when things aren't the way we want it, which they usually aren't at some point in our lives, that we're pressed into knowing God and therefore worshiping him in the way he is worthy of And trusting him for things we never thought we would have to trust him for. But that's the good life.
2: It is. And it's so not what we hear today. And that's why I love having your voice in this. Because that is the good life. If everyone could have. For me, it's a Jonathan that has Mm -hmm. so many things this world says he cannot do. And. If they could experience just one day. I was telling friends yesterday, um, he kept asking me the same question over and over and over and over. And, you know, like by the 50th time, I'm thinking, (laughs) I'm so tired of this question. (laughs) And it immediately hit me. How many times have I asked God the exact same question? And he patiently, lovingly wraps his arms around me. And cares for me, even if he doesn't answer the question. And then I felt like a total heel because I ran out of patience so soon. (laughs) One of the things that I do want to talk about, because in your book, Holding On to Hope, which is um, a pathway through suffering to the heart of God, I love that title because it's a pathway through suffering. When we're in suffering, we think we will never not be in suffering. But you said here, our culture wants to put a Band-Aid on A band-aid of heaven on the hurt of losing someone we love. Sometimes it seems like the people around us think that because we know the one we love is in heaven, we shouldn't be sad. But they don't understand how far away heaven feels and how long the future seems before we can see the one that we love. How far away was heaven for you when you had just lost hope? I felt so
0: far away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember about a month after Hope died, going out on my back patio. I just looked up in the sky. It was so sad.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just, I just remember saying to God, you know, I know she's with you. And I am so grateful to know that. But it is so far away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, I was probably, I'm not sure, mid-30s. And I just thought, I have so many years to spend on this life on this world, in this world, until I see her again. And, you know, that is, it's a very real perspective of of where we are. You know, it's, that is all very real that, um, that the truth of her being in the presence of Christ doesn't immediately have the power to take away the hurt. But there is also a, a reality that as we uh, meditate on that truth you know it's now been 16 years since hope died and you know i um certainly i miss her and there are certainly there are times i still get really sad yeah. but the hope i have the reality that she is in the presence of christ it does have the power over time to begin to reshape perspective
3: mm-hmm. yes um,
0: And the more that I'm in the scriptures and see how much the scriptures point to an eternity, to a kingdom that will never end, to a new heavens and a new earth where nothing evil will ever enter it and there will be no crying and no pain and no more curse. The scriptures keep pointing us toward that. And as that begins more and more to shape my perspective, then this length of life that I have Yes. Between now and when I see Hope and Gabe again, I'm able to get it into perspective a little more in light of eternity.
2: Perspective is everything. Now you and your husband decided to, with the genetic testing, to have to go ahead and have a vasectomy, as you wrote in the book. And then what happened after that? Because you're wrestling with all of this. With and releasing hope. Yeah. Yes, and then you're like, we're done having kids. Well, that was <laughs> so the you thought.
0: thought actually. Um, you know, to us, there was the lot there. I remember after Hope died, you know, I grieved for a while her life and the suffering of mm-hmm. it. I grieved her death and her absence. But then mm-hmm. I also grieved this loss of possibility um, because in so many ways our family didn't feel complete. And But yet we we're facing this reality of these genetic odds, which I suppose right. many people who follow your uh, podcast, webcast here, understand that, you know. Um, right. You know, and for us, it was those 25 percent odds then that we understood after we had hope that whenever we have a child, that child would have a 25 percent chance of having that fatal syndrome. And, And, you know, Colleen, you know this, too. I mean, our lives weren't just us. You know, there was our son, Matt, who was eight at the time we had hope, who lived in a house waiting for a sibling to die for six months and then had to live with a really sad mom for a long time after that, which I guarantee you couldn't have been fun. And then there was our parents, and as hard as it is, I think, for parents to lose a child, I think it's doubly difficult for parents to watch their child lose a child, Yeah, um, because they want to be able to fix it, and they can't, and it had been so difficult for my parents and for David's parents, and so we did make this vasectomy decision, and evidently it didn't work, and so a year and a half after Hope died, I discovered I was pregnant, which I remember that day feeling squeezed by competing emotions. There was a part of us that was like, okay, here's this thing we have ruled out, but God has clearly overruled. And perhaps He's done that because He's going to give us another healthy child to raise and enjoy. And that was a thrilling possibility, scary, but thrilling. Um, But the percentages were pretty good 75%. 75%. Right. But then. There was also this really sick feeling in my gut, mm. you know, this really uh, sick fear. I was full of fear. I just thought, you know, it was it was a year and a half out after Hope died, and so the grief wasn't quite as heavy as it had been. But yeah. I was, I felt like I was just beginning to see the sunshine a little bit in my life, and like I could see these gray clouds billowing, you know, way out there that was going to perhaps sweep into my life, and I just thought. I don't know if I can do that again. And more than that, God, would you really ask me to do that again? Of
2: course. That's the bigger question. Really, Lord?
0: I know. I thought, okay, did I, was there something I was supposed to learn some way I was supposed to change um, that didn't happen? You know, that I need a remedial course, <laughs> but you know, that, that priest, it presupposes uh, a number of things about God. It, it, it that tries to boil down his purposes to something we can manage.
2: Yes. And
0: explain and control. And understand. And understand. So I remember I, I, I went away for a few days, and I was in this hotel room by myself, and I just was, okay, Lord. Um, because
2: Can we, we chat? We,
0: <laughs> could we chat? Yes. <laughs> um, and we went through prenatal testing and discovered that this child would also have the fatal syndrome. And so, yeah, when I got that news, I went away just to say, okay, Lord, I need you. I need to, I need to hear from you in this, not an explanation, but I, I suppose more what I need to clean was just to, just to surrender myself to him, to come to a place that says, okay, if you are asking me to go through this, um, I know this has come through your hands, and you are a God who is for me. You're not against me. And you have the ability to use something like this that on um, would seem to be the worst thing in the world and actually use it for something good, use it for something good in my life, hmm. something for good in my family's life and beyond. And so I just remember leaving that hotel room and heading back to go through that pregnancy, just saying, okay, God. Whatever it is you want to do, I welcome you to do it. Come and and do it and and use us. And, you know, honestly, Colleen, he has. And it's um in many ways so far beyond what I ever could have anticipated on that day. And it doesn't mean that it's always been easy. But I am really grateful for Hope's life and death and for our son Gabriel, who was then born, and for his life and death. And all they have taught me about... What it means to trust God, although I still have a lot to learn about what it means to trust God.
2: We all do. and I think when um, when we struggle with our circumstances, the thing that I am learning and will learn for the rest of my life is I must cling to the love of God mm-hmm. and to his character when I don't understand His ways.
0: Yeah. You know one thing I heard way I heard that said that was helpful to me is in the midst of these times, we've got to know two things. We have to know that God loves us. Yes. Right? But we also have to know that God is sovereign. Yes. That he is all powerful. He's in in charge of everything. Because the thing, if he's just loving, but he doesn't have the power to oversee and bring history to its appointed end, and not just the history out there, but my history and your history, if he doesn't have the power to that, his love only goes so far.
2: Right. It's limited.
0: It's limited. And if he's only sovereign, he's really powerful, but he doesn't really love me, I can't trust he's going to use his power in a way that's for my good. Right. So if I'm, if I'm in the midst of the storm of struggle
3: mm.
0: and I'm looking for something to grab a hold of, an anchor that's going to hold me, you know, as the winds of difficulty blow in my life, what am I going to grab hold of? I'm going to grab a hold of God is sovereign. Yes. But I'm also going to grab a hold of that he loves me. And it's those two things that are going to gird me and you and all of those who are listening to this are going through difficulty, not one or the other. We need them both. And those things give us strength to endure the storms that come in our lives.
2: Well, I love the quote that you have at the very beginning where you said the Christian symbol, a lot of times, that we see is an anchor and it's anchored in heaven. <laughs> and I love how you put that. I also recently reviewed a journal um, written by um, a gentleman who was reviewing Barnabas Piper's book on believing or on doubt. Yeah. And
0: Belief and Doubt, I think, is the title. Yeah.
2: Yes, and a lot of times people don't know what to do with our doubts, and yet I happen to think doubt is fantastic because in this way. It can drive us to Christ. But That's the key, yeah. Here's what he said, and I love this. I had never read that, read it like this. Unbelieving doubt is the doubt of a heart that is not transfer, transformed by God's grace. It doesn't really seek guidance from God, only a way of escape from God's claim. Believing doubt, however, instead of letting unbelief in, ventures out and seeks faith. Just as unbelieving doubt is against belief, this sort of doubt, the believing doubt, is the driving force behind belief.
0: Yeah. But, you know, so when these hard things happen, Colleen, and and we're doubting, and I would ask, add to doubt, also anger. Yeah. So tell me about that.
2: Did you struggle with, did you struggle
0: with both of those? Um, I wouldn't say I struggled a lot with anger. My biggest struggle was just disappointment.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, uh, Um, I really wanted to raise a daughter who'd be my friend in my old age, Mm. but you know, with, with doubt and disappointment and, and, and anger, we'll put them all there. You know, as you said, the key question is what we do with them. and, Many people will want to ask the question, you know, is it wrong to be angry with God? My answer to that would be, well, first of all, you can't hide it from him if you are.
2: He already knows. He already knows. No surprise.
0: But many people would just say, God is okay with that. I wouldn't go that far. Hmm. Because um, what anger says, it, it has it, it's basically saying, you have wronged me. Hmm. And you owe me. You are wrong. I am right, right? So certainly we can have those feelings. And when we have those feelings, we do with them, just as we said with doubt, we take them to him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the way we take them to him is not just um, an ethereal spiritual sense. One way we take them to him is we go to the scriptures. Mm
3: -hmm. Because
0: we have to say, okay, I have assumed you have wronged me. And so I need to see what you promised me. And when we go to the scriptures and we see what God has promised, we recog- and, and we see who he is, when we read he is a righteous God, that means he always does what is right. Mm-hmm. And that means he will always do right by you, and he will always do right by me, and he will do right by my children. And so as I reckon with that, then uh, that I'm taking my anger to that, seeking to bring to um submit my anger to the truth and i need the truth of who god is and how he works what he has promised and what he hasn't because a lot of times i'm angry with him because where we kind of where we started today in our conversation what i thought christianity was supposed to be about how i thought i was going to use god to get the life i wanted (laughs) but instead we're forced to wrangle with who god really is what he really has promised and what he hasn't and therefore the Holy Spirit uses his word to begin to address our anger. So our anger doesn't have to get the last word. um, It's possible to feel some anger and yet not become an angry person. It's possible to have thoughts of doubt and yet not become a doubter. It's possible to feel some disappointment and yet not go through life as it woman seeped in disappointment is just living in disappointment and all of those things we feel them they're very real because we're living life in a broken world but we take them to god and we ask him to change our perspective and to give us understanding and to fill Mm -hmm. us with his holy spirit that will open our eyes to see the truth
2: um i don't know if you've read the book the lost virtue of happiness by (laughs) philip yancey it is, um, no, it's not Philip Yancey. It's the guy from Fuller, but I, I mean from a, Yancey. Yeah, I'm 48. I forget. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> uh, the Last Virtue of Happiness, though, is a book I read several years ago, and it is fantastic oh. because he's, he's talking about our emotions. And he says our emotions are there as tools or as indications of something that's happening in the soul.
0: Like dashboard not, lights on the, in the car? Yes. Something's happening in the engine.
2: Yeah. <laughs> exact Aware, aware. And so I thought, and in this grief recovery handbook that I got a hold of the other day, he talks about the, the importance of emotions and acknowledging them, but they don't steer our ship. Hmm. And so um, one of the tools that they use is to do a life map because they were saying that by the time someone is about 13 or 14 years old, They've gone through approximately 1 to 45 different kinds of losses and been told 23,000 different messages on how to handle those losses. Which usually is get over it. Well, you'll have another child, or at least your child's in heaven, you'll see him again, or don't be sad, men don't cry, all the messages that they're given, which does not ever equip them to deal with the losses that inevitably will come. Hmm. So I so I thought, what about writing a chart of from birth to whatever a person's age is and just highlighting when When did I lose that pet or when did I lose that grandparent or when did I lose a parent or that expectation or the job or my health or whatever it is? And then write the emotions with that, but take those emotions to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm angry that I lost my job to an unfair circumstance. I didn't, but hypothetically, because you're righteous and you love me and you're sovereign. Open the eyes of my soul to see how that has worked its way into my life for good. Because I don't want to be a bitter person. Yeah. Those are tools. What are tools that we can impart that you've come up with for the church to help people with loss instead of just running from it?
0: Yeah. Well, I think there are lots of practical tools and you've talked about some, but as you were talking, I I couldn't help but think also that as much as we want to focus on the losses in our lives, and I think to a certain degree, we have to, we have to, if we're going to apply the scriptures to them, we have to be honest with ourselves about them. Sometimes we can become so self-focused. Yes. Right. Uh, All these things that happen to me. And, you know, I I can think of times in my life when I've just gotten so absorbed with, you know, Ways people have hurt me hmm. and, or, you know, all these things. And it can lead to this huge pity party. And it, it just makes me think of Hebrews 12, I think it's twelve three, where it says, consider him uh, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Hmm. And so, you know, as we think about all the losses in our lives, I think one thing the scriptures would say to us is to lift up our head away from our lives and say, you are joined to Christ and, um, consider him. So when I feel betrayed, one of the ways, I mean, I can, I can simmer on that for a while. I can, I can plan my confrontation and I have had plenty of those sessions with myself and my imaginary conversation with, I'm going to (laughs) set that person straight, right? You know, but then here's this thing. The scriptures presents to us to consider him. He was betrayed. He understands betrayal, you know, when I think he doesn't even really understand the the pain of losing someone I love to death. No, he does. There he shows up at the grave of Lazarus, the one that he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And what does he do? Jesus wept. Yeah. And it it calls me into um, communion with him. Colleen, one thing we haven't talked about is my one thing my husband that's come out of our experience that my husband and I have is that we host weekend retreats for couples who've lost children. Mm -hmm. They're called respite retreats. And so couples who have faced the death of a child come from all over the country, even outside of the country. It's just 11 couples and us. At a twelve-bedroom lodge outside Nashville for the weekend, and
2: I, I saw it. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. and I want to go, but I haven't lost a child. Well, the, <laughs> but I still think it's incredible. The beautiful Talk about thing that.
0: about it is, couples get to spend the weekend with other people who understand. Yeah, and that really helps because you know when you've lost a child, you're on this search for people who who get it, and I imagine. That's been your experience, too, in regard to a special needs child. You know, just that sense of at-homeness you feel with someone that you don't have yeah. to explain yes. like something was hard, and you don't have to explain why yeah. a, what might seem like an inconsequential victory to someone else was huge at your house, yeah. right? Yeah, that exactly. That sense of understanding companionship, and yeah. sometimes our frustration and anger toward God can make us think that he's not a safe person to approach in the midst of our grief. And yet here we see the person of Christ uh, that he did weep at the tomb of this one he loved. Even that, even more, uh, a little while later, we get to witness him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says to his friends, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Could you not watch with me for one hour? And at our respite retreat weekends, we talk about this verse specifically mm-hmm. because it shows us a couple of things. First, it shows us Jesus is a safe person to draw close to, um, especially as one who understands that weight on your chest of grief, that sick feeling in your stomach. He was oh, physically overwhelmed with sorrow so that he was her sweat was like drops of the blood. So Jesus understands that kind of sorrow. But he also understands the incredible loneliness in the midst of, here you are at the lowest point of your life, and you look up and you find that the people you thought would be there for you have disappeared. They're sleeping.
2: Of all things.
0: Yes. And so, you know, we discover that Jesus is a safe person to draw close to in in the midst of our suffering. So we can look to him, we can draw close to him and find companionship with him in the midst of these hard things.
2: Some of the very hardest things that I've gone through with Jonathan that really only my children and my family know about, Um, the greatest comfort I've ever found has been knowing that Christ gets it, that there's nothing my son has gone through that the Lord himself did not also endure. Who else would I want to talk to? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. understands and provides the comfort because nobody else on earth can understand like he does. Mm. I'm not saying there's an immediate happy feeling. We're not talking about feelings. Mm-mm. We're talking about an inner, um, an inner seated contentment with knowing my companion in this life and in through eternity mm. understands me thoroughly and I can trust him. Um, Nancy, I want to move. I do want to ask you how the Respite Retreat Center evolved because one of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 10, where Paul is saying we were pressed and we were fearful of our lives to the point of death. And then he goes on to say, of course, as you know, we were comforted by the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and now we have a purpose mm-hmm. in being able to comfort you, mm-hmm. which it sounds like is one of the fantastic things that happens at the retreat center
0: yeah it really is
2: How did you come full circle with that you've You've lost both of the children yeah. you're you're wrestling with God, in fact, you're coming to know him in a very new way mm-hmm. and then that was birth, yeah.
0: Uh, it was ways down the road. Um, a lot of it came out of uh, relationships built with hurting parents mm-hmm. um, who got in contact with me after reading different books that I mm-hmm. had written. Um, my, my first book was a book called Holding On to Hope that you mentioned earlier. I wrote a book after that called The One Year Book of Hope, which is a daily devotional mm-hmm. for people who are grieving. I
2: have it on my desk. Or
0: grieving. yeah. Yep. And then I wrote a book called Hearing Jesus Speak into Your Sorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, which really deals with a lot of the deeper theological questions, some of what we've talked about today that we struggle with, trying to make sense of loss. And so uh, the way it came about, actually, this girl had read the One Year Book of Hope, and she said, my husband and I are coming through Nashville. Could we get together? And we did. And we realized that there was something unique, not just about me getting together with a mom, which I had done a lot, Um, But my husband David and I getting together with another couple because, Mm. you know, for the loss of a child, there is there's individual grief that you both have. But then there's also this grief identity in a sense as a couple and a family and trying to figure out how are we both hurting so much going to stay close in the midst of this? How are we not going to come out of the end of this resenting each other? How can we grieve together and grapple with all the questions we have? together. So we had this great dinner with him. It was a really sweet time. And actually just on the way home from dinner, I was like, you know what? I think we should start a retreat just for couples who have lost children. And exactly. I knew about this facility outside of town. We had been to a couple times, the hiding place that it would work perfectly. And so I came home that night, I created this little brochure, which is basically the brochure we still use and kind of jotted out. I mean, almost before we got home, I had figured out what we would do over the weekend.
2: That had to be so exciting. It was so
0: exciting. And mm-hmm. I, I sent it out basically to people who had emailed me the previous two years who had lost children and sent it out to people who lead grief share groups around the country. Mm-hmm. And in two weeks, the first one filled up. And so we scheduled another one and then we scheduled another one. And so, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks, we'll have our 20th respite retreat. And, um, yeah, there's just hardly words for it. You know, we can't fix everything, Colleen. That does, probably doesn't surprise you. And But there is something that happens over the weekend. You know, some some people walk in the door and they really, one spouse or the other doesn't really want to be there. And we get right. that. <laughs> in fact, you know, sometimes we've
2: had That's why you have meets. twin beds in some of the rooms, I bet. Because <laughs> I read through the brochure. Right.
0: Um <laughs> uh, but so I mean, we'll have somebody walk in the door and say, I really don't want to be here, you know, mm-hmm. and Friday night's kind of awkward and, but then couples start sharing their story and they hear someone across the room say something. They thought, I thought I was the only one who felt that way mm. and maybe I'm not crazy. And so then o- over the weekend, you know, this intimacy grows and we discuss all the the hard things couples face we look at the scriptures together, and by Sunday, people don't want to leave, and they have found a new sense of, really a sense of relief. Like, I could, because for so many of them, they haven't been able to be around friends and be around public because everybody's walking on eggshells around them, and um, and that sense of people not getting what's going on with them. So they find a real sense of relief, and I think for many couples, what they tell us is it creates, it, like I said, it doesn't fix everything, but it does create kind of a pivot point. Yes. Like, okay, this has been hard. It's going to continue to be hard.
2: But I'm not but I'm, alone. I'm beginning
0: to believe that we could have joy again. Yes. And that this loss doesn't have to dominate, control, suffocate us yes. forever. Right. That actually God, who is a healer, could bring some healing into our lives and into our marriage and into our family. And that there could be good out ahead of us.
2: I mean, you're breathing life into people who are just, they have no air left. Yeah, Um, the privilege. Nancy, I love your website, which is nancyguthrie.com, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And there, um, I want to tell our audience, you can find all of your information. It's a fabulous site. I bathed myself in it the last oh, two days. Thank so you. getting ready for this. Thank you. And you have a blog and you have several books. In fact, um, Be Still My Soul is a conglomeration of writings that you have put together. Well, not you, but people who have written like C.S. Lewis and Spurgeon and, oh, where are my notes on here? Well, I,
0: I collected the writings of people whose writings, especially about God's sovereignty and suffering, you know, who communicate the truths that have made the biggest difference for me in, in struggling with my questions about that. So
2: I mean, as I told you yesterday, I've read, these are the people that I've read, Oz Guinness, Tim Keller, R.C. Sproul, Johnny Erickson, A.W. Tozer, St. Augustine, D.A. Carson. I mean, Did you awesome. get any better than that?
0: <laughs> no. I didn't, um, write, I didn't write any of them. I just collected them. Well, you did a good job. The impact that that book has had has been so significant, so I'm really grateful.
2: And I love on your blog or on your page, you also have a question-answer time because there are also questions, and I want to encourage people to go to that because we all suffer and we all lose things in this life. We experience loss. Um, As we close, Nancy, will you just speak into the hearts of those who cannot believe that God is good or are doubting that he is present because he seems so absent and silent, just speak into that as we close our time together.
0: Well, I just want to speak to you. If you are in the place that because experiences and circumstances in your life could never be described as good, I'm not about to try to convince you they are good. Because we live in a world that is so broken. And so many things about this life are not good. And then someone comes along and they tell us that God is going to work them out for good. And we want to believe that that might be true. But it's really hard for us to believe that anything good could come out of this thing in our lives that we would say is clearly not good. And I just want to share with you the one thing that has helped me make sense of that, the one thing that I go back to when people tell me their stories, that in my heart, I think, God, how could you ever use this for good? And it's this, that on the cross, we see the most innocent victim, the greatest physical, emotional, spiritual suffering of all time. On the cross, we could say that nailing the Son of God to a cross was the most evil thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. But at the same time, we would have to say that Christ on the cross accomplished the greatest good of all time. (laughs) Because Christ on the cross, as he took, the punishment for sin that you and I deserve, all the punishment you and I deserve for all that we have ever done, for our anger toward God, our apathy toward God, for the ugly, cruel things we have said and done, all of the punishment that you and I rightly deserve has been laid on Christ. And that's because God has something very different he wants to give to us. He wants to give us his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. So at the cross of Christ, we see the greatest evil of all time, the greatest suffering of all time. But at the same time, we see that it has accomplished the greatest good of all time, the salvation of sinners. It is the cross that makes mercy and grace available to you and me. And so I would just say to you that this is the place when I see that something so good could come out of something so evil. That, and probably only then, can I begin to believe that God could do something incredibly good through what I would describe in my life as the worst thing that ever happened to me and the greatest of suffering. And I just invite you to trust God in this way and trust that he is a God who can take the worst things that we can imagine and use them to accomplish a great good. And now when I say that, I don't want you to think, well, I've got to have some kind of identifiable good out there if I'm going to believe it, because I find oftentimes hurting people think, well, I can't believe God is doing something good with it if I can't tell you what it is, if I can't point to it and say that's the good thing God did. And so I want to say to you that actually in Romans 8, in that verse we don't necessarily like to have quoted at us, the following verse, Romans 8:29 tells us actually the good thing God wants to do, which is he wants to conform us to the image of his son. So my prayer for you, would be that in the difficulties of your life, in the places that bring you the greatest heartache, in the places where it is so hard to trust that God's doing something good, that he would use it in your life to accomplish the good he tends and that that good would be founded, would flow out of his transforming you, conforming you, making you look more like
2: Christ. That would be good. That would be great. Nancy, thank you so much for sharing um, such wisdom with us Mm -hmm. and for pressing through the journey of suffering to where you are today. Mm -hmm. If something in this interview has sparked an interest, if you are struggling to trust, if you have questions, um, if you are in doubt, please get a hold of one of us because we would love to hear from you and talk with you about that And more importantly, listen to your story because it matters. Thanks. Have a great day. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on Reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website.
1: Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website, our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.